7 degrees in town, a couple of degrees higher in the new territories. The temperature now is 23 degrees, the humidity 90%. The news from RTHK. Good morning. Welcome to Back Chat. I'm Danny Gittings. And I'm Philip Wong. In our main topic today, we're looking at the latest population figures, which show a slight increase in both the number of births as well as the total number of people living in Hong Kong. There were 33,200 births last year, according to figures from the Census and Statistics Department, up 2% on the previous year and the first increase since 2017. Hong Kong's population also rose by 0.4% to 7.5 million, something the government attributes to not only new births, but also recent talent schemes and Hong Kongers returning from overseas. However, there were still more deaths than births last year in Hong Kong's elderly population is expected to soar to 2.74 million in 2046, up from the current 1.45 million. So what do these figures tell us? We'll find out. And after 9.45, we're going to get the construction sector's views on calls to better regulate or even ban the use of ba- bamboo scaffolding at construction sites after an accident that killed two workers in Kaitak on Tuesday. We'd love to know what you think. And of course, you can call us anytime on 233-88266 and join the conversation. WhatsApp us on 6899-8518, comment on our Facebook page, or email us at backchat at rthk.hk. Joining us initially, we have uh, Lena Wong. Lena Wong is the founder of Hong Kong Mumtrepreneurs. Mum, Mum and we have uh, Paul Yip. Paul Yip, Professor Paul Yip is the chair professor of the Department of Social Work and Social Administration and also associate dean uh, at the Faculty of Social Science at the University of Hong Kong. Uh, good morning. Uh, let's go to uh, Professor Paul Yip first. Um, professor Paul Yip has referred to uh, Hong Kong being in a uh, fertility trap. Um, do these latest, uh, Professor Yip, do these latest figures cha- change your opinion? Uh, good morning. I think, yes, I think, um, I think, um, even, uh, we see the latest figures. I think the number of marriage, uh, and I think the number of birth, I think it has gone up by 700 in comparing with 2022. So I think the rebounds, the so-called rebounds, I think is still very limited. Um, however, uh, having said that, I think, um, when we see the number of marriage, I think in 2023 has gone up. Uh, by nearly 40% in comparing with 2022. So I think I am a bit cautious optimistic <laughs> that I think the number of births might have some chance uh, to go up a bit higher, I think, in 2024, and especially, I think, in the Dragon Year and also with some sort of measure from the government. And hopefully, I think that will help um, some somewhat, I think, to those families who would like to have babies. No? I, mean, uh, I think uh, so. So I think we have to say, Professor. Is it fair to say that's sort of quite big news coming from you? Because it's it's fair to say, right? You, you you've been a pessimist. You've talked about Hong Kong being in a fertility trap that might not end for a uh, long time. You now maybe just a little bit more optimistic. Is that right? Um, y- y- yes, but I think we still would remain at a very low level because I think the government has anticipated in 2024, I think our birth will go up to up to 39,000. Now, when you see the number in 2023, we only have about 33,000. I think we are 
expecting, I mean, in order to reach the government uh, the target, I think we still need about six or 7,000 births. So I am not uh, saying that what I have been um, estimating is wrong, but I just say that because of the increased number of marriage in last year, which is quite unexpected because we have 40% increase of the marriage, and also, as you know, I think all the births in Hong Kong mostly will be done within the marriage. So I think that's why I have uh, taken the approach to say that we are slightly a bit uh, optimistic that I think our fertility will not go further down, but whether it can be rebound, I think, to the level uh, what is uh, um, uh, set by the government, I think it might be a bit, um, for the government side, they are too optimistic. For me, I was a bit too pessimistic. <laughs> well, I, it, it's, it's quite, quite interesting to, to hear that there's an increase in 40% of marriages compared to last year. But I was about to say, you can't really correlate, you know, number of marriages to the number of births, can you? I mean, it really depends on, you know, the trend and how the couples think. No, I think in Hong Kong it's a bit different. I think in Hong Kong, uh, I think as we said, uh, 93% of a birth, they were done within the marriage. So if the people they are not getting married get through the first hurdle first, then I think they would not think about to giving birth. Okay, so, so there's one side, fair enough. Yes, <laughs> if they're not getting because most people have um, children uh, within marriage in Hong Kong, if they're not getting married, people they're not going to have babies. But just because they get married doesn't mean that. I mean, so many. Um, so many married couples choose not to have children in Hong Kong, right? Yeah, you are not wrong too. I think so. I think there there are still some sort of barriers. I mean, for the married couples, I think to have babies, and that's why I think when the government, I think last uh, last year in the policy address, I think they have announced some sort of measure. Of course, we do understand that the measure is very limited, and also might not be sufficient. I think to really uh, help those couples, I think a big deal. But at least I think it is a gesture. I think from the government to show that they are concerning about the situation and hopefully I think if there are more measures I think, um, to be in place, I think that will help I think to cultivate a more family friendly environment, I mean for the couples I think to think about to start their families. Okay, uh, talking about a uh, more family uh, friendly environment, we'd love to hear what you think uh, on that, any problems you face uh, bringing up your children in Hong Kong, do uh, call us 233-88266 but on that topic, uh, let's bring in uh, Lena Wong, Lena Wong from uh, Hong Kong Mum Entrepreneurs. Um, I'm sure you have some views on this. Uh, good morning, Lena Wong. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Uh, so, I mean, it, I just how difficult is it uh, to have a family-friendly environment in Hong Kong? And do can we really expect to see the, the birth rate increase? Well, uh, certainly, uh, Professor, you brought up a, uh, you know, a new perspective that I forgot this year is the year of the dragon. <laughs> and I, I remember how uh, Chinese in general just love having kids uh, being dragon <laughs> for some very strange reason. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's a, I guess that's like a rebounder, uh, certainly for 2024. And just going back to the fact that I, I, I believe uh, the reason why we have slightly more married uh, marriage last year has also to do to the fact that it's post-COVID. Mm. 
Mm. Uh, I guess Chinese in general still as uh, a strong believer that they need to have the wedding banquet happen at the wedding, mm-hmm. you know, ceremony thingy. So it's all happening on at the same time. So I guess that's why there are more um, weddings and marriage going on last year. Uh, talking about bringing up uh, children, I think there are just a lot of uh, uh, challenges uh, being in Hong Kong. Uh, you know, more than often, we always address the issues of not enough daycare, especially for zero to two years old. Um, that's causing a lot of hurdle for couples to consider having children. Um, and so the other, you know, better or alternative is to hire foreign domestic helper, which also, you know, is, have some uh, hurdle and restrictions on how to bring someone aboard to, to come to Hong Kong and to help, you know, take care of the children. I guess ultimately, is uh, is also down to the fact that whether employers in general are providing enough flexibilities uh, in terms of work arrangement for uh, women or or men, of course, uh, to consider um, start having children yet being able to have a career and still raising their children. Um, You know, there's still, even after COVID now, there's still employers that would just immediately go back to the traditional, uh, you know, work um, system where they expect their staff to be there nine to six, or even more. Um, so uh, it's, it's just a pity that not all sectors are willing to provide, uh, for example, flexible work, remote work, or even share uh, job sharing, uh, so that uh, people who choose to spend a bit more time with their newborn at home can also enjoy, you know, continuing their career. Um, uh, in Hong Kong, it's often the case that is either you're in. Uh, your career or you're out and look after your kids. Uh, so another thing that, of course, the government did address a little bit, but yet I believe would help a lot is the tax incentive. Um, I guess in general, we do want to encourage um, certain segments of the populations to have children. And so tax incentive is one way to um, you know, encourage that uh, so that they have more motivations and see the, uh, you know, the um, it helps relieve some of the economic um, uh, burden uh, of raising a children in Hong Kong. And last, of course, is our education system. There's still a strong myth that this is a highly competitive uh, uh, place and the education uh, is expensive. Uh, although my disclaimer is that I send my kids to local school, uh, so I don't need to pay tuition fees, uh, but it comes with the price of having enough confidence in myself that I am not uh, uh, restricted or uh, I don't I don't feel as much pressure from the peer. Uh, mm. It's pretty hard. It's highly competitive here in Hong Kong when you put your kids in local school. Yeah, yeah. so even with, like, if employers give you the flexibility or if you have like the finances to have a domestic helper, you know, to take care of, you know, your child, one of the things that I, I guess, there are so many things to consider. Like if you look at, you know, news about, you know, students being severely depressed or, you know, you talked about education in general, it's very difficult. It really makes you think twice, like, you know, as a couple, if you want to become a parent, whether it is the right environment to have children in Hong Kong, right? Yeah, unfortunately, the news or the media only focus on bad news mm. <laughs> in general. So uh, I often uh, would ask myself, or, or maybe a, a, a professor would know better, like whenever I see a suicide case on students, I 
you know, of course, as a mother, I have goosebumps and and thinking that is it true? Is it really mm-hmm. the case? Is it really like you know so many like children suffering? And then of course I you know see other children in my you know in my life in my mm-hmm. circle and you know they still smile and you know I you know as as often uh unfortunate that you know media would only cover things that was often quite shocking, um, but ultimately it's also up to the parents. Um, I mean, I have the uh, uh, privilege to be a full-time stay-at-home mom for four years when my children were young. I think it helps build my confidence in being a mother and believe in myself and my children uh, so that uh, even though, um, you know, I have two kids and one of them honestly is not the best students in terms of academic achievement, in school, I, I, I am happy with what she can accomplish. Um, but that also comes with a lot, like I said, peer pressure of you know the way other people behave and so uh, i guess it's uh, like i said it really depends on the parents of how much they um, believe in themselves and their own kids okay we're discussing uh, the population trends in hong kong the late- <coughs> latest figures for the census statistics department shown a slight increase in both the number of births and total population in hong kong last year we'd love to hear what you think so do uh, call in and join the conversation anytime on 233-88266. Uh, let's now go back to uh, Professor Paul Yip from the Faculty of Social Sciences at uh, uh, Hong Kong U. Uh, Professor Yip, um, how about these talent schemes? Uh, are the government saying that uh, the um, uh, the increase in the population, which we, we have to put in perspective, the increase in the population is tiny, 0.4%, but uh, uh, they're saying it's partly due to people coming in on, under these talent schemes. Um, uh, what, what's your view on that, and will it help to boost the fertility rate? In, a lot of them are married couples, so will it help boost the fertility rate in the long term? I think the replacement of this uh, talent scheme uh, actually uh, have us offset I think uh, the people I think who have left Hong Kong in the last two or three years. Now, if you look at the government numbers, I think mean, uh, they are making the claim that I think mean, there are about 70,000 um, so-called uh, the talents I think who come to Hong Kong. But actually, you see the net gain of migration is only 10,000. So what it means that I think we might have lost uh, 60,000 people I mean, who have left Hong Kong. So without this talent scheme, I think we will be going to go into the negative population growth situation. So I think it is good that I think we have this sort of replacement by the migrants. But at the same time, I think we have to look at whether these migrants provide a good match, I think, to the Hong Kong social and economic development. Because I think what you see, I think in the last couple of years, I think we see uh, the people who have left Hong Kong who are um, usually aged between 20 to 49 and then with, with some young children. So now we are bringing in some uh, 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 another group of people. I mean, who come to Hong Kong, I mean, but, but their skill set and then their expertise might be a bit different. I think from those who have left. So I think uh, there's also skills mismatch. I think that could become another problem. And also we have to work hard, I think, to ensure these this newcomers, I think they can actually settle down in Hong Kong well. I think their concern can be as 
can be addressed, especially about the children's education and accommodation. And furthermore, I do hope I think uh, the Hong Kong government can work harder, I think, to slow down I think the out the outgo of the Hong Kong residents now, because these are the people who are the economic active one. They are the professional, and then they are with the young family. So if they have left Hong Kong, they are not only we are we are not only losing one economic active one, but plus I think the younger generation as well. Um, Professor, we have a comment from a listener actually um, addressing uh, very similar to some of the points you've just been making. Maybe, uh, and of course, uh, we, we welcome your comments. Either you can uh, email us at backchat at rthk.hk, as um, um, Ilna has, or you can course call us and join the conversation on 233 Um uh, Ilna says, uh, speaking of demographics, can these figures only be attributed to various talent schemes, such as the Top Talent Pass scheme and the return of all those residents who left during the pandemic for various reasons? Is there any data on those permanent and non-permanent residents who emigrated for good? Despite the increase in births, it's worth noting there were still more deaths and births last year. The figures in relation to the birth rate do not look promising. Even giving a Hong Kong dollar $20,000 cash handout won't resolve the current situation in a positive way, as it will not incentivize people in Hong Kong to have babies. The government should take action to address this issue. Additionally, the projection that Hong Kong's elderly population will reach 2.74 million by 2046, up from the current 1.45 million, raises concerns about the challenges posed by an aging population. The recent establishment of the advisory panel on, silver, on the silver economy by the Hong Kong government, focusing on the economic potential of the city's growing elderly population, is a step in the right direction. However, it would be beneficial for the Hong Kong government to formulate a clear and comprehensive plan for the years to come regarding Hong Kong's demographics and how to boost the um, birth rate. Uh, Professor Yip, I, the, the, our listeners' comments actually sound fairly similar to what you've been saying, right? Well, I think that is, uh, uh, sounds right, and I think that is the approach that the government should uh, should be adopting. But unfortunately, I think uh, I mean I mean well. Uh, to be fair, to be said, that I think the Hong Kong government is moving in that direction. But I think their pace is a bit slow. I mean, sometimes I think the things that they come up, I think is quite uh, piecemeal, uh, quite disconnected. So I think it's very important. I think you need to really have a holistic plan. I mean, how to ensure? I think whatever the people, the existing population or the incoming population. I think their concern uh, can be well looked after. When you um, when they mention about the fertility, yes, I still uh, think that Hong Kong will go into a stage which the number of death will outnumber of number of birth in the future. So I think all the population development in Hong Kong will rely on the migration. So I think how do we? ensure the migration i think can be um can be done in a most constructive way it is very very important because at this moment i think the government have this mindset it is like a mathematics you know one minus one is equal to zero but i think it's much more than this i think the people who are moving out the people coming in they are not exactly the same so we, in terms of just not simply looking at the number, we have to look at the composition and also how the new people coming in can be better integrated I think, into the society. And when you talk about migration, you're 80%, you're talking about migration from the mainland. I mean, we have these talent schemes overseas, but 
Look, looking at the government figures, right? Net inflow of fifty-one thousand seven hundred. Um, uh, inflow of forty thousand eight hundred one-way permit holders. They're coming from the mainland, so that's eighty percent of the total alone, isn't it? Right. Well. Yes, I think uh, that that is actually is much more than that because, as I said before, no, this one-way permit holder it is for the family reunion, right? Which account for forty thousand out of the fifty-one thousand gain. But this ten thousand, as I said before, is just the net gain. So yeah. it act, it actually there are more foreign. Uh, this uh, mainland China has arrived to Hong Kong. It is is around seventy thousand. So actually, the number is much bigger. And this so-called the ten thousand numbers, right? Do you can you follow that? So, so yes. I think it is really important. I think to how to help these foreign, uh, these mainland tenants to come to Hong Kong. They actually can assimilate here better, and such that really uh, not just getting a visa and then, or not uh, not to stay here for long, or just use Hong Kong as another stepping stone to go somewhere else. No, I think that is something that we have to work on. We work hard. On, I mean, to make sure Hong Kong will become a place that they like to actually to stay and live and work here. Uh, on one-way permit holders, what's your projection on the trends for one-way permit holders? I mean, looking at this figure, forty thousand one-way permit holders. Have you, that's far below the, the the daily quotas. Maximum daily quotas more than a hundred, isn't it? I mean, I'm uh, I'm old enough to remember the days when they were they were long queues for one-way permits. Now it seems we're not filling the quota anymore. Well, now we usually we have 150, which is yeah. uh, add up to about 53,000. So now when we go to 40,000, it's not that far off. But you are quite right that I think Hong Kong uh, 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 is not as so-called attractive as before now. I mean, now, and also now, even the Hong Kong resident who got married to the mainland spouse, sometimes, I mean, they might not choose to stay in Hong Kong. and They may like to choose to live in the Greater Bay Area. So I think the whole dynamic, the population dynamic has been changing quite rapidly in the past decade. I think the composition, the age, and who are these people, I think we really have to do a good study, I mean, to monitor the changes and such that we can have some good responding, I mean, to those changes. You know, Professor, you mentioned a lot about, you know, whether the migrants are a good match or whether we're providing them with the support that they need to acclimatize to Hong Kong. What's your opinion on this? Do you think, you know, we're doing enough? I think we can do better. I think we can do better. We certainly can do better because I think at this moment, I think accommodation is still a big concern, not only for the for the for the foreign talents, but for the local people as well. I think the living costs and then I think the local wages. And also, uh, I think that there are a lot of people that are concerned about the education, I mean, for the for the uh, children. So now, when we see uh, uh, the uh, so-called some surplus of uh, of some school places now, it might be an opportunity. I mean, we, we have to revamp our system, I think, such that we make our educational system uh, much more appealing, I think, to the parents. Because at this moment, some of the people, they left Hong Kong because I think they worry about the education system. So, 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 so I think we, we really have to work harder, I mean, to really to make Hong Kong to be an attractive place. Okay, and you haven't really talked much about the sort of uh, the aging population. That, and when we look at the figures, that, that's going to be a huge issue for Hong Kong further down the road, isn't it? 
Yes, it doesn't look promising because I think uh, now we have already reached about 21 percent of age 65 or above. I think when you look at uh, the population projection, and then it doesn't take long, and then one third of our Hong Kong population will reach 65 or above. Now, what you can see, the impact, I think, the economic activity, the social services, I think, the health, the health burden. I think these are the real problems. So I think, I don't think, uh, I mean, the window, I mean, for us to do anything is closing soon. I think it's really the time for us, I think, to prepare ourselves, I mean, how to ensure, I think, the older people, I think, can be um, can be well looked after. You know? And of course, we've seen the impact, the economic impact in con- of that kind of aging population in countries like Japan, haven't we, for a long time now? Yes, also, so I think our MPF, our our, our our working age, whether we need to extend our working age as what we have seen in Japan. And so, so there are quite a lot of things that I think uh, we just cannot drag in our feet. I think, I mean, the time is not on our side. I, I mean, the aging is coming and it is coming fast. So, so that's what they call the aging the tsunami. I mean, they are coming. So I think if we are not well prepared for that, I think uh, some of the hospital system, our social welfare system would be collected. Okay, we're going to have to uh, break for the news there and we'll say goodbye to uh, Professor Paul Yip who you just heard talking about uh, uh, trends in Hong Kong's um, uh, population Uh, but do stay with us Uh, we have uh, Mervyn Chung from Hong Kong Education Policy Concern Group also joining us and um, we'll be talking to him as well as uh, continuing discussion with Lena Wong after the news and we'd love to hear what you think so uh, do call us at 233-88266 or you can email us at backchat at rthk.hk or go to our Facebook page backchat on RTHK Radio free and leave a comment there. Um, later on, we're also going to be talking about uh, the implications of that uh, terrible construction uh, accident that killed uh, two workers in Kaitak and the calls now to uh, um, ban bamboo scaffolding altogether. Uh, the weather forecast, <coughs> are there going to be sunny periods? Man, it's going to be foggy with one or two um, uh, rain patches in the morning and at night. It's been a while since we had any rain, but it's going to, it's, it's, a little bit's coming. Uh, rather warm during the day with a maximum temperature of around 27 degrees in the urban areas, a couple of degrees high in new territories. Currently 23 degrees, ready for humidity, 90%. It's 9.30. Here's Karen Musgrave with the news. Brazil's foreign minister has criticised the paralysis of the UN Security Council on the wars in Gaza and Ukraine as he opened the G20 meeting in Rio de Janeiro. When Brazil took over the rotating presidency of the Group of 20 in December, it said it hoped the group could be a forum to reform global governance. A large number of Russian troops are believed to have been killed in an apparent Ukrainian strike on a Russian army training site in an occupied part of the eastern Donetsk region. Estimates suggest at least 60 Russian soldiers were killed. And Boeing says the head of its 737 MAX programme is to leave the company. The news comes less than two months after a piece of one of its jets blew off during a passenger flight. We'll have more news for you at 10 o'clock. All domestic gas appliances imported for use in Hong Kong since 2003 must be approved by the Electrical and Mechanical Services Department and bear a GU mark. Aged appliances without a GU mark have exceeded their life expectancy and should be replaced with ones bearing a GU mark. Users should also arrange regular safety inspections for domestic gas installations every 18 months. Please visit the EMSD's website for details. Hi, I'm Captain Blood. Many patients are waiting for my help. Even when there are extreme temperatures or after a storm or heavy rainfall, I am determined to donate blood. 
If you're planning to visit a country with potential risks of infectious diseases, donate blood first before traveling to avoid deferral later. One blood donation can save three lives. Act now and make an appointment via the Hong Kong Blood app. Welcome back to Back Chat. I'm Danny Gittings. And I'm Philip Wong. And in the second half of the show, we're going to be initially continuing our discussion about trends in uh, Hong Kong's population, a very slight increase in both the number of births and the overall population in Hong Kong last year. We'll be continuing the discussion uh, with uh, Lena Wong uh, of uh, Hong Kong Mum Entrepreneurs and also joining us, uh, Mervyn Cheung. Mervyn Cheung, a regular guest on Back Chat and the uh, chair of Hong Kong Education Policy Concern Organisation. Later on, we're going to be talking about that uh, a uh, terrible uh, accident in uh, Kai Tak uh, that uh, k- k- killed two workers and has led to calls to better regulate or even ban the use of bamboo scaffolding. Now, of course, Backchat is all about our listeners. We, 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 we love to hear your opinions. We've had some comments coming in um, by email already, but the uh, Backchat at RTHKHK. But the best way to join the conversation is to call us on 233-88266. And I believe Boeing has. Uh, Boeing, good morning. Good morning. Uh, good- yes, uh- uh, responding to uh, what Professor just said, I've just got a, a brief comment or question to ask about this, uh, and it is as regards to uh, whether we have got wh- whether we have any information about whether there's been any change in the number of Hong Kong students who have returned to Hong Kong after graduating abroad. I mean, I'm assuming uh, records that have have been kept, or maybe they have not been. Uh, well, traditionally, these people have provided a huge slice of our business leaders, uh, maybe less so in the professions, uh, and one would assume that they have played an important part in maintaining Hong Kong's international character. And I'm also thinking about the, the recent campaign the government has conducted in trying to lure medical graduates back to Hong Kong. So uh, I'm, I'm just curious as to whether we have got any figures about that. Thank you very much for joining, uh, Bowen, and you've raised a very interesting uh, question. Uh, uh, unfortunately, uh, Professor Yip has gone, but uh, we are joined by Mervyn Cheung from Hong Kong Education Policy Concern um, Organisation. Um, Mervyn, normally you focus more on um, uh, sort of primary, secondary education, but uh, I wonder if you have any thoughts about uh, the issue that um, our callers just raised about uh, Hong Kong students returning to Hong Kong after graduating. Uh, I, I don't have uh, any such statistics, but um, well, it seems that the, um, the, the, um, the trend of returning to, uh, to the city after after university education, um, uh, especially in, in the Western countries, um, well, seems seems to be increasing. Uh, well, as, as you can see, um, the same has happened uh, on the mainland. And uh, we, we, we do have uh, an increasing uh, number of uh, university graduates returning to to the homeland, uh, uh, you know, from 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 the Western universities after they complete their, their different stages of studies. And um, well, of course, I think um, in Hong Kong now, as you can see, uh, for certain prof- uh, professions like the the, the, the medical uh, professions. Uh, Hong Kong officials do um, pay uh, special visits to countries like, uh, say, uh, the UK, Australia, etc., um, in, in a bit to to encourage and attract um, the graduates, especially those in in the final year of studies, 
to return to Hong Kong and uh, take up different kinds of services. So, um, but this kind of uh, drive should be uh, should continue and at the same time be uh, be, be uh, invigorated so that our pool of talents can can be in, in increased in the future. Okay, Bo- uh, Boeing, do you have any further thoughts on this topic? Yeah, I'm I'm wondering if Philip has any comments to make about that because uh, I, I know he graduated quite a number of years ago from Canada. Uh, well. <laughs> Does he have any information or any uh, personal comments to make about uh, uh, Hong Kong students, uh, what they think about whether they want to return to Hong Kong, whether they've been influenced to any extent at all by what has happened in Hong Kong in recent years? Well, thanks for uh, asking me, Bo, and I see you're a regular listener. <laughs> You've been listening. You know the background, yeah, you know, you know my background, background host um, as well. That's actually quite interesting. I mean, that was many, many years ago, like 20 years ago. You know, one of the things that um, uh, for me was right after graduation was to return back to Hong Kong simply because, you know, the lifestyle and, and everything was, for me, was much better. In terms of now, you know, one of the things that I, I can't really say much, but one of the things that I will wonder as well is, you know, the number of people in Hong Kong graduating Hong Kong and then leaving, yep. you know, that's, that's another, another point to look into. Yeah, that's uh, exactly what I'm thinking about. Yeah, you're yeah. right. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't, I don't have an answer for you, but here's another, you know, food for thought. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, Marin, yes. Industry, sorry, uh, there's Lena. There's yes, Lena, please. Yes. Yeah. yeah, there's other industry that can attract a lot of talents. Uh, Hong Kong are returning to Hong Kong. I came from finance. I also came back from Canada. Um, yeah, I, there's a lot more promising, even I guess up to now, like I'm, I'm picking on Canada because I know that country better, mm-hmm. um, to return to Hong Kong and work if you, say, for example, uh, want to pursue a career in finance. Um, so it's definitely a lot more opportunities here. Sweet. Of course, there are other options as well, but coming to Hong Kong is uh, just a lot easier for us to settle back in and, you know, uh, being able to also have the advantage of knowing what's going on in our, you know, on our homeland. So yeah. we have two returnees on the show this morning. Mm-hmm. That's right. <laughs> uh, Bowen, any final thoughts? Uh, that's all. Okay, thank you very thank much you. Uh, for you. joining the conversation this morning. To all, all our listeners, uh, we'd love to hear from you. You can call us on 233-88-266 anytime. Uh, let's pick up with uh, Mervyn now. Yeah, Mervyn, yeah. so, you know, on, on back to, a, you know, topic of uh, population, what, what's yeah. your general, you know, take on it? You know, it's only like a 0.4 increase compared to last year. So, I mean, can we even say that, you know, we're looking at a positive trend? Uh, I think it's, it's, uh, it's still uh, hard to generalize uh, uh, in this direction at this moment because uh, uh, that's, uh, that's um, only um, a, uh, you know, a mild increase for mm-hmm. two consecutive years, mm-hmm. and uh, we still have to observe. But anyway, I think th- this is a good sign, good and encouraging sign, because uh, at least it, it, it has arrested. The um, the ongoing downward trend in 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 in, in our population in in terms of the the uh, the new uh, births, but um, one thing is that uh, I think we can't just uh, say that oh we we have more more uh, more people coming here or our, our the number of new births uh, has gone up to, because population growth while while uh, exciting. Um, Ease is not uh, should not be taken for granted because the uh, retaining talents in the city uh, does require the tackling of uh, quite a number of major issues, including what uh, uh, Paul has just said: uh, expensive housing, 
uh, poor support of families. And recently, there's also an increasing concern uh, over non-working hours. And all these things uh, might have uh, some kind of tracking effect on on the imported professionals um, in developing and putting down their roots in Hong Kong. So there must be um, very significant improvement in our existing environment, especially in, uh, in relation to living conditions and also the availability and affordability of, uh, of childcare facilities. Um, so all, all these things must be on top of the, um, of the current current uh, uh, mission drive, which has been much hailed by, by the authorities. You know, uh, Miss Wong, what are your thoughts on this? You know, what are your thoughts in Hong Kong in terms of like livability, you know, suitability for, you know, parents and, and children or families in Hong Kong? Um, uh, I, I guess, of course, uh, the living standard here can be, or the, it can be expensive to live in the mm-hmm. city, uh, but it's also a matter of choice as well. I live very remote, so the kids have more space, but there's a trade-off. Uh, it takes longer for us as one up to commute to the city. Uh, but yet, uh, that's create an environment where my children can have uh, more space to run around when they're young. Uh, but if for those, of course, uh, that has to cram into a smaller space, uh, certainly that's something of a concern. I still remember during COVID time when the children needs to be uh, all online. Uh, we literally have to you know, share you know space uh, to be all having lessons at home. Uh, so certainly that that has always been the issues in Hong Kong when it comes to uh, you know, living cons- living space cons- constraint. Mervyn, your I mean your 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 speciality focus on is this Hong Kong schooling system. Maybe you want to talk a little bit about the impact on Hong Kong schooling system of what we're seeing, of course, isn't we? Is an outflow of uh, middle class professionals and their children, in particular, moving overseas, and then um, the influx is it tends to be rather more people from the mainland, doesn't it? Um, what kind of challenges does that pose? for Hong Kong's schooling system? Yeah, um, one thing is that um, I think in recent decades, it's clear that uh, Hong Kong residents and those who who get themselves relocated to work uh, uh, and such in Hong Kong do require very high standards in, in, in our schooling. So uh, we can't just uh, you know, claim to the past, uh, the, uh, the kind of provision in the past, and we need to be more innovative and, uh, and more groundbreaking in terms of our, our education provision. Um, now, I, I would say that Hong Kong schools are, are in general, uh, of a very high standard. And uh, this has eventually been uh, very much guaranteed by, by, of course, something that um, some people may not like, that is public examinations. Now these are the uh, safeguards that we we must we must be kept in place and and be be strengthened. Um, now recently there's been uh, uh, you know, something of a misunderstanding that some overseas universities have cast out on on our uh, on our DSE um, because they think that our curriculum has changed and so that the, the criteria and, and requirements might have also changed uh, uh, in, in consequence. So they, they have doubt over the validity and also the standard of a, uh, of a diploma of secondary education examination. Now, um, I think for, uh, for any change in our local education system, there must be very clear explanation and acceptance by the, by the wider community and uh, such um, change must also be communicated in very, uh, in real clear and convincing terms to the overseas 
professional and and also academic communities, especially in the, in, in in the higher education circle, because some of the students do do choose to study overseas, and of course, eventually, like uh, what, you have, uh, what you have just mentioned, they they will also return to Hong Kong for for the professional development in in in, in uh, after their graduation. But anyway, I think. Um, all the good points of our, of our education system should be kept intact, while at the same time seeking improvement to things that we have not done to, uh, sufficiently well in, in the past. Uh, how about the impact on international schools? I mean, we've seen projections from international schools that they're expecting numbers just to decline year after year, aren't they, right? I mean, you, both uh, the expatriate population and perhaps the sort of um, middle-class population who also like to send their children to international schools, uh, that those both the, uh, the, the, the demographics where we've, we've seen numbers falling. So um, are we going to see shrinkage in the international school sector in Hong Kong? It's not so long since um, the, it was impossible to find a place mm-hmm. in the international school in Hong Kong, Mervyn. Yes. Uh, well, all along, I, 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 I am in support of a, a very good international school system in Hong Kong because it, this is one of the big assets um, from which the kind of uh, in, incentive uh, will, will emerge for, for drawing talents from, from especially outside of Hong Kong. And uh, uh, we, we can, we can wait, wait a bit and see because uh, if the, the kind of uh, a relocation of, uh, or, or the, uh, the success uh, can grow uh, with our, uh, our various uh, talents and mission schemes. There will be more and more parents who come to Hong Kong with the children. Uh, some of, uh, some of whom might 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 choose to study in inter, in international schools. And in uh, for in, uh, in the meantime, I think that the government might might consider offering help to the international school sector so that they they can still survive and 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 function properly. And uh, well, of course, uh, there, there's been uh, much discussion on whether the um, the impact is positive uh, in terms of the um, uh, the number of uh, uh, migrants coming to 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 work and live in Hong Kong um, on 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 our school sector. And of course, uh, we can see that for the preschool sector, there's there's already been the kind of grumble that. Um, Given that uh, we have around 1,000 kindergartens in Hong Kong, already some have become closed because the, the maximum number should be uh, 1,100 previously. Um, the 700 more babies born last year uh, would not be enough to give even one more pupil on average to each kindergarten. Mm-hmm. So uh, bear in mind that at the moment, kindergartens have, an, have on average less than 20 pupils each. So um, there is, of course, uh, uh, the uncertainty. Uh, uh, whether or not this newborn uh, will, will stay in Hong Kong and enter the um, the local kindergartens uh, three years later, but for uh, on average for the aided school sector, the public school sector, like uh, the aided schools and also the DSS uh, schools, they benefit from the the, the growth in the number of uh, overseas uh, talents. And, and also mainland professionals uh, uh, coming to work and, and live in Hong Kong because uh, it's reported that in, uh, in general they get uh, new new uh, new students from these streams of uh, in, in, uh, in, incoming people. And uh, well, let's hope that uh, this momentum can be kept so that uh, there can be some relief to the the uh, uh, worsening shortage of uh, uh, in. Uh, new, new, new students in, in, in the local classrooms. 
Okay, we're almost out of time on this uh, topic, but let's give the uh, last word to uh, Lena Wong, who's been here with us from the beginning. Um, Lena Wong, your 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 closing thoughts, particularly you were talking about uh, Hong Kong's education system earlier. Uh, yeah, so I, I guess it's really uh, up to the parents, like I said, to decide what's best for your own children. Uh, certainly, I have the benefits of enjoying free education in Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just come with the price of uh, the kids being in a high, more competitive environment. And so uh, just uh, give your kids uh, more uh, freedom to, to play whenever they can. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's a wonderful note to end on. Uh, thank you very much uh, to uh, Lena Wong. Lena Wong is the founder of Hong Kong Mum Entrepreneurs. Uh, and you also heard just now uh, Mervyn Cheung, Mervyn Cheung, a regular backtrack guest and uh, the chair of Hong Kong Education Policy Concern Organization. Earlier on, we were hearing from uh, uh, Professor Paul Yip, a population expert at uh, the Faculty of Social Sciences at the University of Hong Kong. Uh, stay with us. You're listening to Backchat. Call us on 233-88-266 and have your say. Moving on, a uh, terrible accident. Uh, yeah, another terrible accident. Uh, the, the latest on uh, Tuesday, bamboo scaffolding fell from the 19th story of a residential building under construction um, in Kai Tak. It killed, killed two workers and uh, ba- uh, badly injured three. Uh, this has led to um, uh, call, uh, calls to review the use of bamboo scaffolding, possibly even ban it in Hong Kong. Government has said it's now uh, stepping up... <coughs> Inspections. The Labor Department's launched a two-week special operation to inspect uh, safety and stability of uh, large-scale bamboo scaffolding on construction sites across Hong Kong. um, Joining us to talk about this, the aftermath of this accident, and uh, how how we we should react to it is uh, Dick Lee. Dick Lee is uh, vice president of the Hong Kong Institute of Construction Managers. Good morning, Mr. Lee. Welcome to Backchat. Thank you, thank you, Danny. Uh, thank you, Philip. What is your reaction to this uh, this tragedy in in Kai Tak? Oh, thank you, thank you for your invitation. And according to my understanding, um, this case is currently under the further in- investigation by the police and the building department. It is essential uh, that we are not in position for the comment at this stage. In fact, it is important for the um, industrial to focus on the promotion best practice to prevent the similar accident occurring again is much better, is much, um, is much important. So, um, we believe that uh, in the important implementation, the safety measure and uh, continually survive for the improvement and ensure the well-being of the worker and the overall the safety construction site is more important thing for this stage. Can you tell us more about these best practices you recommend to your members to take note of when handling bamboo scaffolding? <laughs> okay, thank you. Thank you for your question. And um, according to uh, Hong Kong Building Department and Labor Department and have the bamboo scaffolding investment guidelines provided the good practice for design and construction. Uh, commonly used in Hong Kong, and uh, I, we, we are always to advise that our members uh, should following the, these guidelines when carrying out the site inspection where installed the uh, all tamworks, because the bamboo scaffolding is a one of the tamworks and and a one of the tamworks. Uh, besides, um, we always advise our members more frequent inspection must be provided when the bad weather, say the heavy rain and the strong wind signal is allowed. 
And after the long holiday, before we resume the work in the construction site to following the portal code, the good portal code to and to check the all time work uh, before start to work. Now, Hong Kong have been using you know bamboo scaffolding you know for a very very um, long time, but because of this unfortunate you know uh, accident, you know there are people suggesting to actually ban bamboo scaffolding. You know, what are, what are your thoughts on this? Um, uh, in the other words, uh, you just to ban the bamboo scaffolding, just to replace the metal scaffolding or other material. Well, like, um, uh, yeah. Right? Yes, right? yes, or, yes. Yeah, like, oh, okay, like in the okay. Western, you know, in the Western cities, uh, you know, countries, they use like a lot of like metal yes, scaffolding. Yes, yeah, sure, so, yeah. sure. And, uh, but uh, you know that that um, bamboo scaffolding is a uh, Chinese culture. Uh, is always in use in the last, last many years. But uh, in this suggestion, I'm open. But I just focus on the design stage rather than the material. In the design stage, the designers have considered the sequence of a work, sequence of the work in the design stage. Say the curtain wall system should be decided to counter for insulation sequence to uh, avoid the trussle the scaffolding work uh, before or after the use and the design for safety rather than the bending bending the bamboo scaffolding in use in Hong Kong and this this is one thing. And the other thing, and you know that that, uh, if the, all the change the bamboo scaffolding just to, um, con, some factor to be considered. One, the training center is good enough for the supporting for this changing. And many people just to change the position from bamboo to metal. This is this different type, the um, uh, skill. And the, and, and, and the, and the other, and the small scale, the repairing work uh, on the external wall, say the replace the aluminum window and uh, replace the, some uh, 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 hair crack in the external wall. If you just use the metal scaffolding, just the large scale work and uh, use the bamboo scaffolding, it's more flexible to the repairing work is, uh, and, and the safety if, if the property fixed, if the property fixed is the safety. Oh, that's yes. very interesting. So what I think you're saying is that um, for large projects, you can start, to, you can change to metal scaffold. I think many, some large projects in Hong Kong already start to change to metal scaffolding. But for small projects, as you were saying, just a, a repair on a balcony or air conditioner that um, uh, bamboo scaffolding still has the benefits and is much more flexible. Is that right? This- yes, sure, sure, yes. Yes, good. So it sounds to me like then uh, you think probably it would be a bad idea to have a total ban on bamboo scaffolding, maybe just reduce it to smaller projects. Would that be the best way forward? Yes, yes. Get uh, feasible for the stakeholder and the client for selection. But uh, uh, first thing first, and this is a proper fix, and uh, according to the uh, regulation and guideline to installation work. Yes. Yeah. What, what, then what are the, some of the, you mentioned that bamboo scaffolding allows more flexibility over like uh, metal ones, but you know, what are the other advantages of having bamboo scaffolding over metal ones? Um, bamboo scaffolding, um, just uh, because the bamboo scaffolding just to be more flexible for the different shapes of the building, 
and is uh, and the and the waste is uh, less than the metals are voting uh, for the installation and uh, carrying out the work on the external wall from the people and easy to to tackle. So um, and uh, if the ban uh, one 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 touch to ban it, and I I I I I, I am open for this. For this, but uh, just to consider, I mentioned that the the the, the budget. and and the other things, uh, we just to consider the accident and the, the cut or the wood cost, and may or maybe the sunlight supervision, sunlight the supervision is less of the experience. And uh, if the if the sunlight sunlight and supervision uh, have the registered the supervisor. Can carrying out before uh, every day or uh, and in every day or um, and uh, day to day to in, uh, to checking may or maybe to uh, avoid um, uh, accident occurred and um, uh, or or mitigate uh, the uh, danger issue. You raise another important point that the frontline yes. supervision. What what kind of training does uh, should uh, frontline supervisors have to? And frontline super, super, supervisor or frontline inspector, I uh, just have the recognized in the professional institute. Uh, I have to obtain that the professional qualification. So, and um, just uh, our, our institute just always promotes to to do it, and and our member is a professional member to to take these exercises and in on site. Uh, and take over all safety and take over all uh, quality and uh, some size safety matters as well. Ensure everything is in order and everything is uh, meet the standard and uh, meet the client and all and all, all safety uh, on site. Is it safe to say that you know anyone or any staff that enters a construction site, like whether it's scaffolding or, or just just construction construction site in general, everyone that enters they're properly trained, like you know, does, including the cleaning staff, for example, are they are they aware of you know what to be aware of, you know, are they properly trained uh, in those sites? Yes, and um, uh, according to according to. Um, Hong Kong Labor Department have the basic training, mandatory basic safety training course. Uh, all people uh, get into the site must be passed the um, uh, data green card based uh, mandatory basic safety training course. Ensure they have the basic training and the safety alert and, and, and they just to load which, which is a danger or which is um, a, a potential risk. Ensure um, uh, the, the, the uh, frontline staff and the work church on site and have the safety before and, and interest of the site. And, and the other um, have, the, have the main contractor just to uh, good practice and uh, to provide the morning beef and the physical exercise every day and let all frontline staff alert the site condition uh, because the site condition is day day to change, right? So uh, just let them to load the potential risk and um, and the danger zone and sure the safe. Okay, and uh, do they need more training in future? Yeah, sure, and uh, make the CPD continue professional and develop. 
for the professional member ensure the uh, the member the register perfect uh, uh, register and uh, okay. construction supervisor at the Okay. Uh, we'll have, uh, thank you very much. We'll have to draw it to a close there. That was uh, Dick Lee uh, from the Hong Kong Institute of Construction Managers. Uh, and that's it for today's uh, Back Chat. Thank you very much, uh, Philip. Uh, Andrew Work will be here for uh, Back Chat tomorrow. So uh, do, do, do join us again then.